Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Meg Epstein. Thanks for being on the show, Meg. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I haven't had too many guests that are able to record a show from a boat, so I'm happy to have you on, and thank you for your effort to make it happen, even though you all are enjoying the water. Yeah, we're in quarantine. (laughs) (laughs) That's one way to do it. That's awesome. A little about Meg before we get started. She founded CA South in 2015 with the idea of bringing to Nashville her sense of design and style of building honed from her days in construction California. The CA South raised its first dedicated commingle fund in early 2019, the firm expanded beyond residential condos to include industrial and office projects. She has been involved in the development of construction of over 260,000 square feet of residential and commercial real estate, representing over $150 million worth to date. She is a licensed residential general contractor, CCIM candidate, and licensed real estate agent. Meg, you've got all the certifications, that's for sure, and lots of experience to go along with it. But give us a little more about who you are and let's dive in. Sure. Yeah, I definitely came in to real estate development and fund management the opposite way. I didn't come from, you know, I wasn't an analyst in New York or something. And I started on job sites out of college and really learned construction and building and slowly worked my way up. When I moved to Nashville, I just knew I had to do commercial real estate. And there were so many gaps in the market and undersupplied aspects. That's when I started my company about five years ago now, and really dedicated to changing the built environment in Nashville, really doing great, interesting projects that appeal to more modern tastes and things like that. Try to build something better than every project that goes up out there. Yeah. Wow. So no doubt that building a business like that doesn't come easy, right? I mean, (laughs) it doesn't come just overnight. No doubt about it. You've worked very hard. But tell me, let's go in a little bit to starting your own business. And I think too, you could speak to the women that are listening. Unfortunately, I don't get too many women guests. So I'm thankful to have you on. Maybe you can speak to them and just starting your business because you don't meet too many women contractors either. And so I'm just grateful for your time and being willing to just share your success and expertise. But can you just share with them a little bit about just getting started? And in that time where you say you slowly worked your way up, What was some of the things that helped you to build that success? Sure. So I guess it wouldn't be slow relatively, right? Because I'm not very old yet and I have quite a bit under management. But I basically started by doing a house flip and I did it with a developer. He'd done other house flips and I just basically found a mentor. And I think I raised a little bit of capital on it and I went on bigger pockets and got a few people to put in 50 grand, 100 grand. And we did a house flip in California. And I was at the time working as a GC, building really high-end homes. So I understood construction and the general parameters. Basically, just got a mentor to do that. And then when I moved to Nashville, I did that for several years. I also had a day job as an owner's representative. So I was having my normal bills paid. And then when I moved to Nashville, I saw the opportunity to do commercial and It just helps not being in California where it's so competitive and expensive and people are just so friendly in Nashville. And I just found my first project by running along the river. And I thought, gosh, why is no one building anything on the river in Nashville? Waterfront's a big deal in many other cities, Chicago and San Francisco, everywhere I'd come from. And 
I thought, why is there nothing on the river? And I was on a bike ride and I saw the sign and it said residential condo building for sale by owner. And I called him and the long story short is that he was a developer and he needed a million dollars and I partnered with him, became 50-50 partners and he kind of walked me through the whole process and I went out and raised the capital from whoever I could find, bigger pockets, everywhere. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna, I can give you a million dollars. I had no idea where I was going to get it, but I just figured it out. Wow. So you called a for sale by owner sign and ultimately partnered with that developer. Right. And he was an older guy. He was also from Los Angeles, but he had moved in Nashville. He had plans and a pro forma and, you know, he kind of just walked me through it. Later, I ended up buying him out of it. I'm developing it still myself, but it was definitely a learning experience. It was, that's how I got started. Wow. Okay. So talk about raising that capital a little bit. Most people are terrified of just raising for the first deal and you call for sale by owner sign. You meet this developer and it sounds like you've seen the opportunity there and you didn't hesitate. Yeah. I mean, now that I have a fund and I work with much bigger private equity groups and legitimate capital sources, I definitely probably didn't do everything correctly. And sure the legal was shoddy. And now I have a whole team of attorneys that (laughs) police everything, but it definitely got my feet wet and understood the basic parameters of contracts and things like that. And really, once you do it once, I think that's why it can be, I remember before then, it seemed so intimidating. And now I have 10 or so projects going and you do it once, it's so much easier to confront a bigger project or something like that. Yeah. Fill us in a little bit on just the hustle that that took. I mean, that definitely took a lot to get that started in your first deal. What are some steps or some things you could highlight to help somebody else that's looking for that first opportunity like that? Well, what I would recommend, I mean, it really comes down to who you're doing business with. I've been the sponsor myself. Now I've worked with other sponsors and it really makes all the difference. So you really should get to know I mean, that guy, I had no idea who he was. I went to his house. He had a nice house. He was 70 years old. He looked like a responsible guy. I just assumed he knew what he was doing. And I'll spare you the details, but it was very messy and it worked out great and it got me started. So I have no regrets, but I would say that you really have to do your due diligence on someone. It's definitely worth hiring an investigator to do your background checks on people before you go into business with them. And in terms of hustling, I did a lot of cold calling when I first started. And I still do actually. I cold call family offices now or have more private equity groups. And that's who I raise capital from. But when I first started, I would literally just online in real estate investors, Nashville, and just called as many people as I could. And I really think that it's a lost art and that people don't reach out to enough people. You mentioned raising capital from family offices by cold calling them. That's not something I've heard anybody talk about on the show. Could you talk about that a little bit? How does that work, cold calling family offices, and what does that conversation look like? I wouldn't recommend that, especially with family offices. When I started, I did not know the difference between an institutional investor and a high net worth investor and who you could raise capital from. I didn't know any of that. I literally just Googled national real estate investors or, you know, something like that. And I just started calling people and networking around town. And so I just mean that I even still find a lot of value in blocking out some of my weeks just to reach out to people and find prospects for investment. Yeah. In your bio a little bit, you talked about just having a different perspective to real estate development. Could you just elaborate on that perspective a little bit and what that means? Sure. I found, especially coming from California, when I moved to the South, one, there was a gap in the architectural style. There wasn't a lot of modern, clean lines. And in fact, one of my main development partners is an architect and a builder. 
and he's also a developer and he is from San Diego and he kind of helped bring a lot of my projects that very modern, cool California architecture. And so I think that has definitely been a part of our success and just bringing a different perspective. We tend to be a younger team, whereas when I first got to Nashville, I kind of made the rounds very small towns. So you want to know someone in real estate, it's one degree of separation. And I noticed that a lot of people were really good or they had family businesses and they're really good at doing one thing like office. And that was all that they did. And that was the one thing they focused on, which is really great. But it left a lot of very traditional, not opportunistic asset classes, and it left a lot of room in the market. And that was sort of what I've exploited. Wow. Tell me other ways that maybe you've been able to do things differently when a market like Nashville coming from California or you know the coast. My first focus was bringing in capital. It was just in the beginning when I first started. It was like 2014, 2015. Obviously, now Nashville is much more of a buzzy investor. It almost seems to be played at this point. But when I first moved there, there's more national investors doing multifamily and hospitality, but it wasn't as many people from New York investing in Chicago. But that was my focus was bringing in outside capital. But to do that, you have to have really buttoned down underwriting and real market studies and things like that. When I noticed when I first started looking at deals in Nashville was very a country club back in napkin type underwriting that just wouldn't attract those investors. And so I think that was one of the ways that I got bigger checks, which is also a point I'll probably make later. Wow. So just seeming to be more sophisticated anyway, having better tools. Yeah. And better underwriting. And to be honest, the first guy I hired used to work at Goldman. I hired him off Upwork. I paid him $100 an hour and he built my super complicated models that I couldn't understand either. But he was smart and I knew he knew how to do it. So <laughs> now I know I can read models and understand them and learned a lot since then. But it doesn't mean you have to have some big team either. So what's been the hardest part of the syndication process for you? I actually don't think the syndication process is that hard. I think that I've never had a problem putting bigger deals together. I find a lot more efficiency in putting 30 million plus projects together. It's much less work than a $5 million deal. And that's something that I think your listeners should know, or a lot of people in the bigger pockets type space tend to overlook, I think just because they can't conceptualize it, but it's actually a lot easier. <laughs> you know, I'm not afraid of someone taking my big secret because no one really listens when I say that. That's been something, really having the discipline to stick to the niche of your size deal that you do best at, and mine is 30 to 60 million. And I opened my own private equity fund last year. And I really think at least this current situation what's happening with the pandemic and everything could change this where people might want to be more diversified, but it's a lot easier to raise capital from family offices and private equity into direct projects right now, as opposed to a fund. Mm -hmm. So that's been something that I particularly don't take several checks into one deal. I only take funds into my private equity fund, specific individual checks. But I find that it's a lot easier to raise capital into individual deals, you know, dollar for dollar anyway. Yeah. Then they can see the property, they can see the market, they can go look at it if they want to, as opposed to not knowing what types of deals it's going to be invested in. Yeah. For me, I'm partnering with a private equity group or using the fund I set up or they have pluses and minuses and I really don't mind either. So kind of the path of least resistance to do individual. Sure. A lot of times I'll ask, how do people prepare for a potential downturn? But now, since we're kind of in the middle of one potentially, you know, how were you prepared for this kind of downturn? Surprisingly, I don't want to say I 
plan for it or I was thinking with it, but I was very lucky because I set up a credit facility debt fund for my own projects, not to operate as a debt fund, but just for my own credit facility, essentially. And that was one thing that really helped me in getting my projects out of the ground. So I started when doing condos and they're horribly undersupplied in Nashville or in other Southeastern cities because they're a lot harder to finance than multifamily. You have to do pre-sales and I didn't want to do luxury condos. I wanted to be selling to people for $350,000 price point. Those people aren't buying condos two years in advance. And so I built relationships with different funding sources that didn't require pre-sales. And that's been one of my very successful actions in selling out some of my projects. One project, we were 80% sold when we opened it. We didn't have to sell 30 or 40% of it before we broke ground. Well, I set up my own credit facility to be able to fund my projects. If new credit market freezes, or right now, I don't think a lot of banks are lending. I just closed two very large construction loans in the last two weeks, and we're well underway. So that was one way I prepared. That basically gives you control of the whole capital stack, which always helps. I have amazing partners that have been through this themselves, and I have an incredible board that is several generations older than me that has been mentoring me and kind of giving me their advice with what they've seen. But it's the basic stuff you know, which is don't over leverage. And my projects tend to be very opportunistic. So I'm looking for very high yields, 20, 30, 40% IRRs. And so if it takes me a little bit longer, a year or two longer, I'm still not losing principal. It might not be as profitable, but my asset classes, you know, I really shop and find the right project and it has to have a lot of spread. I'm not building into something in a six or, you know, six and a half cap and selling it four and a half cap or five cap or something. So I think because I really pick and choose and I focus on these asset classes, as long as I can hold the project long enough to get through it, which I can, then I think people just make the mistake of over leveraging and getting into mes dead and things like that. Nice. It seems like a common theme that I've heard you talk about was really the experts you've surrounded yourself from the very beginning, whether it was the for sale by owner or the guy that's been doing it a long time to the guy from Goldman Sachs to now the board that you're talking about. Sounds like you're good at finding people that are really good at these things. Surrounding yourself with experts seems so important to anybody that's had so much success in real estate. But what's a way that you've recently improved your business that we could apply to ours? The board is a new development, and I think that a lot of people don't do that enough. I basically reached out on LinkedIn to people that aren't like, oh, I want my company to be like that. One guy's had eight funds. He lives in New York. One is one of my main investors. Just people that have done this, and they're on my board, and I give everybody a little piece of the back end of all of my profits to keep everyone motivated and on the same page. And you know, I don't want to pay monthly stipends or something like a traditional board, but that's definitely been something that's been helpful, especially when going into something like this, you really feel like you have a competent team. And then I keep my team really lean and mean, but I've found the right people that are just really intelligent and have given me the ability to compartmentalize my time. Cause I think as a developer or a syndicator or a lot of the people listening, they what's really easy to do is you end up kind of doing everything. And I would say that in order to scale, I'd rather be doing eight or nine projects at once than doing one project by myself and have that diversity in case different things go wrong in different asset classes. Then I see a lot of developers just focus on one project at a time and they do that for like four or five years and it's basically them and maybe an assistant and they hire everything out. And I've kind of chosen a different model, which is to build a proper 
team, lean and mean still, not a ton of overhead, but be able to scale that way so to give diversification. Yeah, love that. And maybe this goes into the next question, but I, I like to ask, what's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? It has to be the people and making sure everyone's aligned for the same goals. I've had a handful of really great partners. We've just worked really well together. And I think that's the point. And sometimes you go through the first deal I did that didn't end up being the best partnership. I learned a lot, but you have to just find the right people. I mean, I think that sounds a little cliche, but I'm trying to think of something more specific. I think it's just about finding the right people and making sure everyone's interests are aligned, you know, even down to the contractor, even if they get a little cut in the bonus or something in the end. It's really just like an abundance mentality, right? Yeah. Wow. Well, Meg, I'm very grateful for your time. Unfortunately, we're out of time. But tell the listeners how you like to give back. I've noticed that there's a lot. So Nashville's very pro-development, which is really great because I'm a developer. But I also think it's really important to shape parks and recreation and the greenways. So I'm very involved in the community in that way. I'm also part of a women's entrepreneur group that basically helps women scale their companies and get to more employees. So I do a lot of mentoring through that. I'm always trying to help women in real estate and commercial real estate or just entrepreneurship because especially in different various parts of the country, you tend to be misconceived. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, how can people get in touch with you and learn more about you? My website is casouthdevelopment.com and there's a contact email on there, assistant at casouthdevelopment.com and that'll get routed to me. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.